Welcome to the Quartering Podcast for Thursday, the 19th of January. First up, Alec Baldwin just got charged and faces five years in federal prison. Wow. I, I mean, I am absolutely shocked. I talked about this yesterday in that uh, the amount of money that went into this investigation, the amount of time that this investigation took, made me feel like there was a high probability of charges being levied uh, against Alec Baldwin. However, I am still absolutely shocked that not only did he get charged, but he got charged with something that could potentially have some serious jail time attached to it. Like, you know, serious uh, long-term federal prison charges. You know, and Tim Pool brings up a valid point in his video and also on Twitter that there actually may be more to this case. There may have actually been a motive. And also, uh, you know, this is this is some serious time that he's looking at. So Tim tweeted out this. They found live ammo in Baldwin's belt. He had motive and opportunity, to which I said motive, but he does have the receipts here. So here's a section from the Vanity Fair article. In addition... In addition to the live round that found its way into Helena Hutchins, investigators found five additional rounds mingled among the movie's props and costumes. Two loose uh, 45s were discovered on top of a prop cart. A third was in a bandolier worn by actor Jensen Ackles. And a fourth was in a belt worn by Baldwin. And the fifth was found in a box of dummy ammo with Gutierrez Reed's fingerprints on it. Whoop, 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 whoop. So I said, what was the motive? Well, he brings up accurately, the crew had been threatening to walk off, lots of animosity between crew and executives. Additionally, Baldwin expressed frustration with Helena specifically over her telling him what to do over and over again in an interview about it. He said cinematographers aren't supposed to direct like that. Given a history of being hot-headed, of uh, you know, passion termination seems plausible. He lied about everything that happened. He had live ammo and what he was wearing. And he links this article, which is very true. Now, I don't think they're ever going to be able to like prove intent here unless there's a whole nother level of investigation uh, that that kind of happens in this run-up to the, the charges. But again, the fact that he added on it, and by the way, Gutierrez Reed obviously is not uh, without blame here either because Alec was not the only one that got charged. The ch there are charges against all three individuals reflect how Hutchins' uh, accident appears to be the result of numerous mistakes and failures during production. An event cascade chronicled in uh, Vanity Fair's previous report. Now, Baldwin and Gutierrez Reed, who is the armorer, uh, will each face two charges of involuntary uh, you know, termination because the jury will be asked to choose between the two counts. According to the district attorney, the first charge can be referred to simply as involuntary. For this charge to be proved, there must be underlying negligence, which will be extremely easy to prove, it seems like. Involuntary uh, termination is a fourth-degree felony and is punishable by up to 18 months in prison and a $5,000 fine. The charge also includes the misdemeanor charge of negligent use of a firearm, which would likely merge as a matter of law. The other charge is involuntary in the commission of a lawful act. The statement continues, this charge requires proof that there is more than simple negligence involved in a death. This is also a fourth degree felony punishable by 18 months in prison and up to a $5,000 fine. This charge includes a firearm enhancement or added mandatory penalty because a firearm was involved. Um, now, the firearm enhancement makes the crime punishable by a mandatory five years in prison. They keep saying jail, but this is prison that he's going to. There's a very clear process for pursuing justice in this case. Carmack Altweiss, who's the DA or whatever, 
We are committed to upholding the integrity that processes to ensure equal justice under the law. Charges will be formally filed with New Mexico's first judicial court before the end of the month. According to Carmack Altweiss, the defendants will be sent a summons and required to make a first appearance, a procedure that is often referred to in other jur- jurisdictions as an arraignment. The statement said they may that may happen virtually or the defendants could waive the appearance. From there, a preliminary hearing would be held, most likely in the next two months, in which the prosecution presents the case to the judge who will rule on whether or not a trial should move forward. Now, it's important to point out here that this is charges being recommended, right? He's being charged, um, but it doesn't mean he's been found guilty at this point. But certainly, the way they stacked these charges, um, you know, it seems extremely unlikely that both would be tossed out. And when you talk about the firearms enhancement of up to five years, um, maybe that maybe that increases the chances of some sort of plea deal to avoid jail time. But it all that also seems extremely unlikely. Like this is, I mean, obviously a big deal. In October, Baldwin announced that he and other producers of Rust had reached a settlement agreement with the Hutchins family. They paid her a bunch of money, presumably. With her husband, Matt, also joining the Unfinished Project as an executive producer. Why would you want to work on that project? Hollywood people are weird. Imagine your wife uh, has such a terrible accident, allegedly, or something terrible happened to her. That's not alleged. And then they're like, bro, you want to come work for us? You'd be thinking about your wife every day on that set if you weren't some sort of maniac, right? I don't, I don't understand Hollywood people, like, at all. The Hutchins family lawyer recently declined to comment on the state of the settlement. I'm sure it was massive. Although Baldwin said that he had hoped to resume filming as soon as this month. Well, that ain't going to happen. I mean, this is facing you know up to five years in prison and, and by the way they could both be charged both hutchins and uh baldwin now what does this mean for you know hollywood going forward well i certainly suspect you're going to see uh a very different uh production going forward now, it's so weird to me. The, 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 perhaps the weirdest part about this, there's five rounds, and they were literally everywhere. Everywhere. They were on Jensen Ackles. They were on Alec Baldwin. They were in the, on a prop cart. They were in, I mean, they were everywhere around the set. Why? Why were there so many? It was almost like someone was hoping something bad would happen. Doesn't it seem like that? Like you just put these things everywhere and maybe just maybe something will happen and you could like absolve yourself of feeling guilty by saying like, well, well, it was just this random thing that happened. The criminal charges were a remarkable development in the career of Mr. Baldwin, 64, who has been a household name for decades, a leading man in films, hosted the Oscars and played Jack Donaghy on 30 Rock and former President Donald J. Trump on Saturday Night Live. The Trump curse is real. Now, Mr. Baldwin, both a producer and lead actor in the movie, has long denied culpability, noting that he had been told the weapon was he was rehearsing with did not contain any live ammunition. It doesn't matter if that's what you were told. You're holding the thing, man. You have to bear some responsibility. And why are you pulling the trigger anyway? Someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Mr. Baldwin said in a television interview last year, he has also said he had been simply following the directions for the point um, where it just went off. By the way, it also wounded director Joel Sousa, who could probably also sue. In a statement on Thursday, a lawyer for Mr. Baldwin said this decision distorts Helena Hudgett's tragic passing and represents a terrible miscarriage of justice. Mr. Baldwin had no reason to believe that there was a live ammo in the prop or anywhere on the movie set. He relied on the professionals with whom he worked. He who assured him that uh, the weapon had no live rounds. We will fight these charges and we will win. 
Now, of course, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the armorer who was responsible for the weapons on set and loaded the prop that day, will also be charged with two counts. The film's first assistant director, Dave Halls, who handed him the weapon, agreed to a plea. He already agreed to plead guilty to negligent use of a weapon in exchange for a suspended sentence. So this guy already took a plea deal. If any of these three people, Alec, Gutierrez-Reed, or David Hulse, had done their job, Helena Hutchins would be alive today. Andrea Reeb, the special prosecutor appointed by the district attorney, said in a statement, it's that simple. I don't disagree with that. There is something more going on here. Also, like David Hulse, I'm not sure how he, I mean, he just literally like handed it to him. I don't know that it's his responsibility to inspect it. That's a weird one for me. But why did he accept a plea deal? Like, I know there are many reasons why people do, and it does not, like, prove guilt. But I, I think there's something more sinister going on here and that we're going to see that in the trial. By the way, don't forget that this armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, has had a history of being terrible at her job and having brightly multicolored hair uh, probably isn't helping her. She'd had several other films where, or at least one other film where she had some interaction. I think it was Nick Cage or something like that. So, yikes. Looks like LawTube's going to have another potential trial here to, to watch, and I'm all for it. The Trump curse lives, and hopefully justice will be served. And next up today, Stephen Crowder blasted by a new Daily Wire video and the truth about the whole ordeal revealed. The Daily Wire has released their kind of bombshell response to uh, the anonymous complaints of Steven Crowder, but others certainly many people believe that it was Daily Wire he was talking about. Steven Crowder actually never named them, and there is probably about at least a half dozen companies that he could have been talking about. But I, I do want to give some props to Daily Wire for coming out and being open and transparent. There's much of the video that I have critiques for, uh, concerns about, but there is some very fair points that the Daily Wire makes. I think the main takeaway here, I think what both sides could probably agree on, is that Steven Crowder was never going to be a fit at the Daily Wire. So a lot of this is, you know, much ado about nothing. There are still concerns about the way the contract was written and how it would be written for uh, for newer talent that I'm going to point out that, you know, kind of the Daily Wire kind of glossed over. But they did talk a lot about their penalties and things of that nature. And most of that stuff makes sense. It made sense at the time. Um, but they also didn't clear up some other things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into all of this. Um, most importantly, though, I'm not going to shill you anything. I'm not going to sell you my delicious coffee brand coffee. But while you're listening, please, I've got something really, really, really big brewing. Uh, just like Crowder, for example please open a new tab and go to thequartering.com and sign up for my newsletter. Or if you already follow me on Locals, it's fine, but I definitely need to be able to get a hold of you. I don't email very often. If you're on the list, you know I haven't emailed in like months. Put your email address in, hit subscribe. Then it's going to say, wait, you must check your inbox to confirm your subscription because I'm doing a double opt-in to make sure to maximize delivery. Delivery. Then go to your email and check. You'll get an email from me that says, please confirm, and then hit the yes, subscribe me to this list. I've got a, a pretty huge announcement coming up that I want to uh, discuss with you. Now, and quite frankly, I need to be able to get a hold of you. And, uh, and I think today would be a great day to do that. Now, here's the deal. Big announcement coming, so sign up for the newsletter. But I still believe there's a lot. Okay, so let me talk about what I agree with or what I think the Daily Wire did correct in their video or, or like <clears throat> that was fair, I'll say. Um, first, I commend them in being openly transparent. Steven Crowder never outed them. They outed themselves. But I think that some people make valid arguments that, well, come on, bro. Like everyone knew it was them. I still think that there was reasonable doubt that it could have been Fox or Turning Point USA or Epic Times, um, uh, uh, PragerU. These are companies that have the money to, uh, to you know, have made an offer. But 
Daily Wire came out and was transparent about it. The other things, you know, I think that he's right to point out that Steven needs their platform, that he's never actually built a platform before, that his content has always existed either on YouTube or The Blaze. And, you know, maybe that's leading to some miscommunications and mis, mis you know, talks and stuff like that. Um, so I think that that's fair. He also, and I think fairly, points out that the Daily Wire does not owe Steven Crowder a job. And I think that that's a fair thing to say. Um, he also breaks down the $100,000 fee uh, in reduction, fee reduction, which I think is also fair when he explains where that number comes from. Where the $100,000 fee, that is if Steven Crowder misses an episode, comes from is essentially he does, essentially Daily Wire is paying him about 70 grand an episode. So if he doesn't do an episode, they don't pay him for that episode is essentially where that number comes from. But there's also a multiplier, which he admits to. Essentially, if you could do the work and you didn't do the work, it's like you're getting penalized for a day and a half of work. Um, it's just part of business. You know, I think, you know, Reed's really cutthroaty, but I think that's fair. When you, you're supposed to do 192 episodes, you do 191, you get paid for 191. I think that that's fair. If you could have done that other episode, you didn't do it, that's fair. So I'm not saying that, you know, everything in the Daily Wire video is bologna sausage. I think that they made some very good points. I also think that you can still obviously really enjoy particular content creators at the Daily Wire and still kind of like not love the way they do business. You know, it's not like Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro drafted this contract. Um, if you look at who owns uh, Daily Wire, they're owned by a billionaire who got all their money, I guess, in fracking. Um, this is like something that nobody really ever talks about. People assume that it's owned by Ben Shapiro. It's not. It's owned by, um, what are their number, their names? I think I retweeted it, somebody. Um, all of these outlets, by the way, are owned by super rich billionaires. The Blaze, Daily Wire, they're all owned by billionaires. Uh, Ferris, the Wilkes brothers, he's, that's who owns Daily Wire. It's not owned, they're not like a small time gig fighting the power. They're owned by a billionaire, okay? Whose headquarters are in, of course, Los Angeles, California. All right, so... You know, let's let's be real here. So some of the complaints that Stephen had could be quelled by the Daily Wire response. And I think that, you know, this video has 41,000 upvotes. And last, thing I, last time I saw it was about 14,000 downvotes. I, I think that, like, that's about expected. But now I want to talk about a little bit about some of the nefariousness in this response. Okay. And again, this is just business, you know, but this video was very well calculated. It was very well scripted. It was very emotional and manipulate. Oh, we're just a small town girl. We make, you know, we make, you know, our company does uh, $10 million a month in Daily Wire Plus memberships, but we're just like you. No, they're not. They're a super huge mega corporation. Okay. Who makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Steven Crowder is also not exactly some, a small town, you know, you know, Joe, like, um, you know, uh, Joe webcam, this guy's worth big money. And I'm going to break that down too. What was off putting about this video for me was that Jeremy boring mentioned the number 50 million, about a dozen or more times that was on purpose. Okay. That's so that you get people like Bridget Fetzi and Mike Cernovich and all these other people like, $50 million, that's crazy. Whoa, he's so greedy. And I understand why people react that way. But when you do some extremely simple math, you understand why I'm not impressed by that number. And also why, also in this video, which I thought was extremely manipulative, okay? Jeremy Boring for a straight face for 53 minutes mentions multiple times that, Oh my God, the Daily Wire is taking all this risk. We're giving him 
50 million dollars and what if he gets suspended we're taking all this risk now that is true until it's not true the daily wire is taking almost no risk whatsoever in this contract you want to know how i know that because i can do some basic math all right let's talk about that jeremy boring here mentions that stephen crowder communicated to him that he could bring about 350,000 paying members. That's how many members he believes are in the mug club. I've seen the email lists. They're bigger than that. Okay. But Jeremy Boring doesn't know that. All right. So I believe that number is relatively close to accurate. Now, Jeremy Boring makes an accurate point. 350,000 people aren't going to sign up for Daily Wire Plus immediately. Plus, I think that it's fair to say that there's probably some crossover. Right? So you're not going to double sign up because Steven Crowder's there or not. But again, Jeremy Boring does not make this point. He simply ignores the fact that Steven Crowder is bringing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue to Daily Wire up front. Right? Let's do some simple back of the napkin math. Let's say it's 350000 Okay? Just, it probably wouldn't be that on day one, but let's just say it is 350000 if they're all paying $10 a month, that's $42 million a year. Again, their salary for Steven Crowder is $12 million. So that's a 3x return on their investment. Any idiot wouldn't take that deal. Okay, Anybody would take that deal. That same money, $42 million, is $168 million over four years, the length of the contract. Okay, Plus three to four ad reads that are probably costing 50 grand per ad read at that size, right? So they're, they're, they're gonna make close to $200 million over four years. They offered Steven Crowder 50, okay? This is huge numbers for us normies to think about. Like I can't, I can't even fathom what $5 million is like or 10 million, but let's not pretend that again, these are people that would sign up for Daily Wire Plus because they are mug clubbers, okay? And the entire 52 minutes and 20 seconds of this video, Jeremy Boring does not mention that even once. He pretends that Daily Wire is like altruistic. They're just trying to run a business, bro, okay? Let's say that number is a third. This is what everybody's missing on Twitter. It's like, oh, Steven's 50 million. Oh, he should be fine with that. You understand that he knows what he's worth, okay? And in his video calling this out, he never one time mentioned the pay. Never once. People forget that too. People think Steven just thought he wanted more money. Never said anything about that, okay? Now, Jeremy Boring said that he demanded 30 million a year. Suddenly, it went from, it's just a negotiation to Steven Crowder's trying to extort the Daily Wire. Okay. By the way, all of these people have more money than any of us and we shouldn't be losing sleep over it. But what I'm saying here is, let's say it's 100,000 mug clubbers. Okay. That's a million dollars a month Daily Wire gets day one. Okay. $12 million a year. Day one they cover Steven Crowder's entire salary. And every additional Daily Wire Plus subscription Steven Crowder sells is 100% pure profit for Daily Wire. Now, now do you see why I've been saying like, God, people are ignoring the fact that Steven Crowder is bringing the mug club with him. That's why he's worth more than $12 million. Now, Daily Wire doesn't have to pay him anything, okay? But for a guy that's bringing, I would say, at minimum $10 million a year in revenue with him, the Daily Wire isn't exactly risking it all to hire Steven Crowder. And also, ignored by this, he says, well, what if Steven Crowder gets uh, banned for a week? He's demonetized anyway, so you're not losing any money. Conveniently, doesn't point that out. Well, he does point out that he knows he's demonetized. Also... Let's say Steven Crowder is demonetized, okay? Let's say, let's say he's banned, he gets a content strike. First of all, nothing's stopping people from consuming his content on dailywire.com or Rumble. 
Okay. The guy had 500,000 people watching him live on election night. Number two, if Steven Crowder gets suspended for a week, is the Daily Wire going to refund all the mug clubbers that he brought with him to sign up? No, of course not, right? So if Steven Crowder gets suspended for a week or two weeks or even a month, the Daily Wire is not losing that subscription revenue. Now, he's not doing ad reads, and you can make that argument, but he's not. they're not losing the ad revenue from his videos, Google AdSense. They're not losing the monthly subscriptions that people are paying. They are losing ad reads, okay, and you can make that argument, but this whole, we're just a, we're just a small town girl, we're just trying to help, is baloney sausage because people keep forgetting that the guy has somewhere between 100,000 and 400,000 people who have raised their hand and said that they're willing to pay the guy 100 bucks a year for a mug, okay? So there are some... Very, I know this is all business, but I'm trying to break it down from a business perspective. Many of which of my conservative peers are either too lazy or, or, or too dumb to understand. Steven Crowder is not like me. That's not like me going to the Daily Wire where I don't have people who are a part of a membership. He has revenue coming with him that the Daily Wire is conveniently ignoring. Oh, we're just signing a guy. He doesn't have $150 million coming with him. Now, also, he explains the big tech stuff, all right? Which is really what Steven Crowder was upset about. My thing is this. You could believe what you want, all right? In half of this video... Jeremy Boring is faking crocodile tears about how offended he is that Steven Crowder would stab him in the back. They were good friends. They've been friends for years. Okay. It was just a boilerplate offer. It was just a what? Why? If you were his friend, right? Why was that crap even in the contract in the first place? Why was telling Steven Crowder that if he gets boycotted, he loses money? Why was that even in the contract in the first place if he's your friend? And if you know deeply his content? It was just a boilerplate, Jeremy Boring said. I don't believe you. You didn't, you didn't bother to take the time or care to, to actually, you know, do the math? Actually write something specific for Steven Crowder? Now... What's entirely possible at this point is that the Daily Wire was never really interested in signing him. And they sent him that contract to pretend like they cared or to pretend like they tried to sign him. It's like when the, it's like when the Green Bay Packers every year are like, oh, we made an offer to this wide receiver. We tried to sign him. But they made like a bare minimum offer. So that could be exactly what it is. But I think, again... What the Daily Wire conveniently doesn't tell you in 52 minutes and 20 seconds is Steven Crowder is bringing a massive amount of money with him and handing it directly over to the Daily Wire. Every new subscription he sells going forward goes to the Daily Wire. Okay? Now, you can argue that paying $50 million to earn $200 million isn't good enough for them. That's fine. But, I mean... Even if they paid 50 million and made 100 million, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the math. So the two were probably never destined to work together. I think the Daily Wire's done some great work. They've done a lot of good things. And I applaud them for that. But this video was PR, maybe just like Steven Crowder's was, right? Maybe Steven Crowder's was, video was to galvanize his base to make sure he could get them to sign up for Mug Club again. But he certainly had other concerns that I think were valid about this contract. Um, Mark Dice, you know, again, has, has, does a great job where he shares this clip of Ben Shapiro, you know, ask, you know caught on a hot mic, uh, asking his producer to, to uh, delete a very mild joke to avoid getting boycotted. His producer to cut out part of a live stream because he... We just had that. I did ask. That'd be great. 
before it's reposted. Yeah. 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 We could. Um, it's like a ten second bit. It's about yeah, halfway yeah. through. It's just on pansexual. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, you don't. You like everything. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. just like. You want to get rid of that. Yeah. It's just it, like it's nothing, but. So when you when you yeah. finish, it is weird that you are attracted to every single thing. Yeah. Wait, when no you finish, taste at all. I thought that was a funny bit. It is a funny bit, but that's why I'll get boycotted. <laughs> Right. Maybe maybe Ben Shapiro has the same kind of if you get boycotted, you lose your money thing. And all he said was that that it was kind of weird. He didn't even really say something intense. Mark Dice also points out the sheer massive amounts of money. By the way, you should watch Mark Dice's video. The sheer massive amounts of money the Daily Wire spends advertising on Facebook and other places, millions and millions and millions of dollars. A million dollars a month or something like that promoting Ben Shapiro. They've got, I mean, they're working, you know, having dinner with Mark Zuckerberg. They are absolutely a business first, and that's fine. But the idea that, you know, Jeremy Boring was just, oh, he's just so heartbroken over a friend. I don't buy it. And next up, Frosk has epic meltdown in response to Adam Sessler revealing her lies. Looks like we've got a response by Frosk to some of the revelations <clears throat> uh, screamed out incoherently by Adam Sessler while he was on a, uh, a certain uh, a podcast. I think the biggest problem, I think it's called. Uh, and uh, it's pretty hilarious. You know, if you've been following the Frosk meltdown, the single-handed destruction of G4 TV by Frost, probably not really single-handed, but you get the point. You know, they <clears throat> they wanted to they wanted to flex social justice. Gamers were immediately suspicious of that. They didn't like it, and so gamers left. But now Frost has responded. By the way, I'm asking people today if they haven't yet to head on over, open a new tab or later when you get home, go to thequartering.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a spot to sign up for my newsletter. I've got a really, really big announcement coming in probably less than two weeks. And I would really like to be able to get a hold of you. Uh, you just put your email address in here, hit subscribe, and then it'll say, wait, you must check your inbox and confirm your subscription. You get an email from me that says, please confirm it, and then you just click yes. Uh, this is what's called a double opt-in, and that... Um, uh, really works hard to make sure you actually get my emails when I send them. And I very rarely do, <clears throat> but please uh, take a minute to join it today. Adam Sessler dishes on G4 TV shutdown and dunks on gaming journalists. Now, this was an article uh, from about a week ago when he kind of spilled the beans about Frost, whether or not <clears throat> her speech was actually planned on and approved by people in uh, and around the production team over at G4TV, her famous meltdown rant. Um, and it turns out there's some question about that. Now, she had said that, oh, everyone knew about it and they loved it and they approved it and all this stuff. But Adam Sessler did cast some doubt about that. You know, some of the things uh, on that he talked about in the show was that, you know, he hated gamers and that he never considered himself a gamer. He only liked to profit off of them. And he made fun of game journalists and things of that. You see this article on Deserto, former G4 host Adam Sessler sparks controversy after mocking gamers. Adam Sessler has been known and respected in the gaming sphere for 16 years and a career in journalism hosting beloved games-oriented TV program X-Play. Not that long ago, gaming enthusiasts around the world were excited about his possible return alongside other members of G4. But more recent, recently, he's been known around Twitter circles for his comments about gamers. It seems to have started with Adam's January 6th tweet. Oh, the worst day in American history. How could we forget? Which, which reads, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this past few days, but gamers seem to be less intelligible than normal this year. Since that tweet, Adam has spammed out a hundred more over the span of five, span of five days. Most of them poking fun at gamers or replying with comments of people who are enraged with him or engaged with him over Twitter. You can see Neon here saying in all seriousness, someone needs to do a wellness check on Adam Sussler. He's been at this for days and it's concerning, not even joking here. You know, things I've learned about gamers today, they love paying for Twitter. They need me to be one of them. They are at the center of all things at all times and they must inform me of my irrelevance repeatedly and in great volume. Sussler's posts have 
generated significant chatter. Some older gamers who remember Adam Sussler from his G4 days have said they find it saddening to see him criticizing gamers so harshly. Content creator Jonathan Irwin said Adam Sussler is probably the most miserable S-head in the gaming world. Honestly, what's sad is he used to be one of the happiest. He has been a huge contributor to the strides in gaming journalism, as well as its rapid decline. Maybe that's why he's so angry with the world. I mean, it's certainly possible. Um, you know, the debate has been divisive, though, with others siding with Adam, pointing out that his tweets were somewhat over the top. These are too good to be true. It's like every gamer stereotype combined. I didn't think people like this existed. But now, seemingly after Adam Susser went on a podcast and basically uh, did not vehemently support Frost, I wouldn't even say like he threw under the bus or anything. I just think he didn't like vehemently uh, defend her. Well, she responded. I've been angry for a long time with my peers for not using their power and voice to stand up for others in the industry. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I mean, Froskiran's tweet has 402,000 views. She's got a pretty big platform of 134,000 followers. You know, maybe it's not always about what other people are doing or what other people aren't doing, and you can focus inward. I mean, I've, I've talked about this at great length when I'm talking about you know, the Steven Crowder thing and people are upset about the number of amount of money throwing around and you got Tim Pool saying he makes $10 million a year and a lot of people are jealous of that. Me, I'm like, no, I need to double down my effort, increase my quality and work harder. This is why I'm like, I'm trying to build my email list so I can tell you guys about what's going on. Um, and that's like, you know, that's how I look at it. I'm not judging these guys for making that much money. I'm like, dang, that's opportunity. You need to look at that at a goal, like a goal, not something to be criticized. Anyway, had it come, had to come to some hard terms that people who I'd known for years, who I thought were quote good friends, just weren't. Devastated me for a long time. I suspect she's subtweeting Adam Sussler here. I could be wrong. Anyways, I'm leaving the industry. Found new work elsewhere. By the way, good for you. You clearly hated it. You know, there's so many people in the gaming world that hate gamers and quite frankly seem to hate video games. And I've said this for, I don't know, going on five years now, how long have we been doing this about game journalists? And my opinion hasn't changed. Most of them want desperately to be writing about politics, but they write about video games because that pays the bills. That's why you see so many of these lunatics you're like, oh, here's an interesting article about, you know, The Last of Us, or here's an interesting article about uh, the new Metroid game. And then you go to their Twitter and you're like, oh, maybe they're talking more about Metroid. Nope, it's all like Trump, orange man, bad, politics, 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 politics. And it's like, oh, these people are obsessed with politics. They don't really actually spend their time playing games. The industry is really messed up, she said. And what happened to me and plenty of others wasn't fair. Um, you torpedoed your whole career, um, for one virtue signal on air. I don't think that it's fair to, uh, I don't think that's reasonable to, uh, talk about what's fair and what's not fair. This is a rod of your, this is your own doing sister. Like this is you. And it could have all been avoided if we had just stood up together. You mean if everybody around you had just blindly agreed with you? That's what it seems like. You let me down, but I get why. Cheers and good luck. Salty much? You know, and like, I'm not sure if she responded to anybody after this. But look, it's probably good that, she, that she's leaving the industry. Because, she, again, she clearly hates it. See, liberal hive mind, you're not a victim. Um, <laughs> just getting ratioed by everybody. Translation, I messed up, and rather than own up to my behavior, I threw people under the bus, and I celebrated when they were fired. She did do that. She celebrated when she wasn't fired, I think. Not necessarily that they were fired, to be fair. Now here I am playing the victim again like I, victim again, like I always do. Paraphrasing your words, if you don't like it, don't work in it. Peace. Pitmaster Broda stood up. You had every major gaming journalism website writing positive articles about you, and your network gave you full backing. YouTubers criticizing you are often shadow banned and algorithmically demoted, but still got more views than you. You blew it. Yeah, I'd say so. 
Also, while she stands up there talking about how her peers didn't do enough for her, she probably never lifted a finger trying to help people worse off than her. She's a rich white woman in the suburbs talking about how hard she's had it. Sounds like that. The charming and delightful Corey writes, All these people rage- Oh my, at 17,000. Like, hold on, I can't wait to get to that one. This is a darn shame. I hope you find your happiness and comfort in your new career. I haven't done much to support you other than tweeting, emailing my support. Okay, so that's a fan. Here's Laura Kwai for 17. Oh, that's look, uh, that's views. Dang it, Elon. Uh, here, why are you still talking down to gamers on your way out? I literally do not believe you even like video games at this point. Since all you do is talk about how evil they are and the people who play them. Yeah, here's Frost working at McDonald's. That's a good one. And like, look, I mean, the the thing is like, no one forced you to stand up and dunk on your viewers. Pretty much the entire gaming media stood up to defend you and cheer for you, but that still wasn't enough. And I think that that's an important lesson. Like, our important point is she had in the entirety of gaming journalism backing her and retweeting her. She had her CEO and owners of G4 TV sharing out her clip. She had more support than anyone could dream of. And she's still blaming others for a decision, decision that she actively made. And last up today, Ubisoft collapses, cancels another game as massive layoffs are coming and stock totally tanks. It's been a while, but we've got some video game news. That's right. I used to cover a lot more video game news, but when there seems like there's like been nothing happening over the past couple of years. Like games come out, they do good, they don't do good. You know, outside of the Hogwarts legacy drama, there really hasn't been that much to talk about it, except the slow collapse of Ubisoft or Ubisoft, however you want to pronounce it. After they have canceled multiple games as of today, they also canceled a fourth title. As far as I can understand, X employees are coming out and saying that the games they were designing were not what gamers wanted. I, it's pretty easy to please gamers. I just, I don't really understand why it's so hard for these companies. But this article came out two days ago. Ubisoft canceled and delayed games because they were not what gamers want, says employees. Speaking anonymously with Insider Gaming, five Ubisoft employees shared how the company was going to move forward while it plans $200 million in cost reductions. So expect massive layoffs uh, as revealed the company's press conference on January 11th. One employee said that Ubisoft is pinning some of the blame on the advent of remote work during the midst of the lockdown. Of course that, of course they are. And consequently, it plans to remove remote work entirely over the coming year. Another said that Ubisoft placed too much, placed too much of an emphasis on Battle Royale games, stating that the company had spread itself too thin, producing at one point over a dozen titles and the already saturated genre. The progress for some of these games are completely unknown. On the bright side, Ubisoft did confirm through an internal company-wide email that Skull and Bones, Assassin's Creed Mirage, and Avatar Frontiers of Pandora would be releasing in financial year 2024, so next year. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, which runs from April 1st of this year to March 30th of next year. The Division, Resurgence, and Rainbow Six Mobile, along with other announced projects, will reportedly also be released. What's interesting is if you look at their stock, it's down 24% in the last month. I mean, these shares are worthless. It's down 8% in the last few days. I mean, if you look at like five years, at one point, the stock was trading at $25 a share. It's at an all-time low right now at $4 a share. Because they came out and they said, hey, we're, we're going to miss our sales goals and we've got even more problems. You see, Ubisoft cancels three games and delays Skull and Bones yet again. Now, I think that people can overreact to delays. I don't have a problem with delay because as you know, the famous saying going, a delayed game eventually is good, but a rush game is bad forever or whatever the saying is. I believe that's obviously very true in this space. Things aren't going smooth over at Ubisoft, the publisher has canceled another three games following the four titles that ended last summer. So a total of seven games canceled in the last year. Not only that, the company has announced yet another delay for Skull and Bones, a game they first, we first tried back at E3 in 2017. The pirate sim was supposed to finally emerge on March 9th, but Ubisoft delayed it until the early part of next year. Oh, which starts in April, sorry. The sixth publicly announced delay 
of Skull and Bones. Meanwhile, the company lowered its financial projections for the target of October-December quarter from around $830 million, uh, let's call it $891 million U.S., to $779 million. So they missed by about 10%. Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hopes and Just Dance 2023 did not perform as well as the company expected. We are facing contrasted market dynamics, and the industry continues to shift towards mega brands and everlasting live games in the context of worsening economic conditions affecting consumer spending. I don't actually believe that. I think when people um, are experiencing a crunch financially, they're actually more likely to to buy. Maybe maybe they're not buying the game brand new at sixty dollars, but look, if you could buy a game that you get a hundred hours of enjoy- enjoyment for for thirty dollars, like I, I always talk about, like I got Far Cry Five, I think for five dollars, something like that. It was like on sale or ten dollars, and I was like, man, that's really good money spent. Like I just loved that game and I got it for cheap. But I still gave Ubisoft money. Like they still have a huge back catalog of games. There's probably three or four Assassin's Creed games I haven't even played. Well, maybe two or three. But like, you know, I, and like when times get tough, I'll still pay them for a for a game that's a little bit older um, that they still make money on. You know what I mean? Ubisoft expects it net bookings to fall by ten percent for the year. Previously, the company expected those revenues would increase by ten percent. So it's a twenty point swing. All told, Ubisoft has reduced its estimated operating income for this year by about a billion dollars. Going forward, Ubisoft is tightening its belt and will focus on fewer games. The company is depreciating $500 million in research and development on canceled games, as well as its upcoming premium free-to-play titles. By the way, this is on top of brand new announcement today that they canceled yet another game, Project Q. Ubisoft has confirmed that one of its games canceled last week was the mysterious Project Q. It's an online battle arena game. Speaking to Eurogamer, a Ubisoft spokesperson said it was canceling development of the game, which was only announced in April 2022, to focus on other projects. Look, I mean, I think, like, I was never, like, a big The Division guy, um, but I got The Division 2, and I really enjoyed it. I mean... Maybe the gameplay wasn't awesome, but I, like, I had a lot of fun playing it. And that game was buggy as heck, and I feel like it could have been way better. Uh, you know, there are games that Ubisoft makes um, that you know, already don't get the level of attention. On top of all of this, now you have Ubisoft workers, this as of yesterday, plan to strike over CEO's email about dismal losses. Workers at Ubisoft, the company behind games like Just Dance and Assassin's Creed, plan to go on strike next week over CEO Yves Guillermo, emailed them about dismal financial results, saying, the ball is in your court to deliver. What a weird, what? What a bizarre reason to strike. I don't understand. In January 11th email viewed by the Washington Post, Guillermo wrote that the company expects a 10% revenue decrease this year and a loss over 500 million euro. I need your full energy and commitment to ensure we get back on the path to success, he wrote. And asset employees work even harder to watch and watch their spending. So this is like this is like what happened to Twitter, right? This is the reckoning, okay? This is why Twitter, uh, Facebook laid off, I don't know, 30,000 people or whatever it was. Uh, Twitter fired 10,000 10, people. Uh, Sales.com or Salesforce had a huge layoff. Patreon had a huge layoff. Obviously, uh, Ubisoft is, is, has now indicated that there's going to be a huge, massive layoff coming. You don't make up $500 million without laying off headcount. That's just, that's not very likely. But what's interesting is you, employees at Ubisoft Paris intend to strike on January 27th or half a day to protest the remarks. Why don't you just sign up to get laid off, bro? This is like, this is like the entitlement. Like, if I had a job, probably high paying at some video game company or at Twitter, right? I get an email that's like, hey guys, things are tight. You're going to have to tighten your belt and work harder. Uh, Otherwise, you know, we can't continue the way we are. The normal person's reaction is like, oh crap, I want to keep my job. That would be nice. So you're going to work harder. What the entitled employee says is like Twitter, oh, you can just terminate me. That's fine. Or, hey, uh, I'm going to quit. Or we're going to go on strike. For what? You're going to strike the fact that your games suck? Now, it's not... The games that they're focusing are not the problem of the frontline workers, to be fair. 
but I don't understand a strike. That seems really weird. You know, Ubisoft workers took issue with how Guillermo attributed the disappointing news to employees needing to deliver a higher level of quality and some of his language could be taken to imply future layoffs. Oh, there's going to be layoffs. I, I mean, hello, Ubisoft employees who are watching this video, there's going to be layoffs, okay? I don't know how anybody would see it any way out. of You don't make up $500 million without reducing headcount. People are angry about Guillermo's email, Guillermo's email, email, which both asked people to work more while cutting the teams and offered nothing in exchange. Yeah, your job. Your job is what's being offered in exchange. What do you mean? Uh, a senior game designer, union representative at Ubisoft Paris, who added that, oh, okay, they're in a union, so they get to be a little more, and in the, in, they're in Europe, so they actually have workers' protection there, so they might actually be able to do something here. Uh, who added the employees were not responsible for Ubisoft losing money from investing in NFTs or in the now defunct Battle Royale game, Hyperscrape, which foundered, floundered in an oversaturated market, typo, Washington Post. That's fair to say. That's fair to say. Guillermo uses the word like organizational adjustments. He said, we know these words because we've seen them use other companies. It always means layoff plans. Well, duh. Um, now, he did offer an apology, but it received a mixed message. Why would you apologize for telling the truth? I just don't get it. People are too dang soft. And of course, also, there's a, of course, there's a putting hands on people uh, controversy on top of that. Like, Ubisoft is in turmoil. And if I'm working there right now, I'm definitely dusting off my resume. I'm looking around. I'm making sure I can, you know, find a new alternative um, because it probably, um, you know, the, the future is going to be rocky at Ubisoft. I don't think that it's going to disappear, but I suspect it will be greatly reduced in size, just like many other tech companies. And trust me when I tell you, you know, save your money this year. The people that are smart with their money this year and next year are going to be in a much better position because things are about to get pretty tight. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you did, please do leave a like on it. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe down below and we'll talk to you again real soon.